Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. It's good to be here with you all today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, like Pastor Allen said, my name is Ernesto, and I serve with Pastor David uh, next door at First Naples Espanol. Uh, I help him preach uh, and teach from time to time, but I also love serving with my family in the preschool ministry. So you've probably seen us around the building. We love serving with our children. Um, I would like to thank Pastor Allen and everyone for giving me the opportunity to be here with you all today. Um, let's go ahead and stand in, refer in um, reverence to the Word of God. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Um, I'm going to be reading from verse 32 through 42. Um, and it reads, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. Have you ever felt alone and abandoned? You know, when I was two years old, my parents divorced, and I experienced the suffering of a broken family. Somehow I got through that over my early years, and eventually I ended up moving in with my dad, and we lived together for a few years. But one day, what seemed to be a normal day, 
While I was at my cousin's house, I got some pretty devastating news. Um, my father had been shot by some thieves that had tried to rob our home. So, I said, as I got the news, I couldn't really believe what was happening. I remember that I started praying and I asked God to save my dad. You know, back then, I knew that God existed, but I wasn't really a follower of Christ. I didn't know him really. I had not been born yet. And then a few minutes passed as I'm praying and another call comes in. So that's when I got the news that he had just passed away. How did you process that at 16? My mind couldn't process what was happening. I felt confused, dizzy. My mind was just spinning. My body was giving up. My whole world has just come crashing down. You know, people promise to be there for you and they stick around for a while, but then they go back to their life soon after, and you can't help but feel alone and abandoned. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've been through a breakup, divorce, illness, bullying, abuse, or maybe you lost a loved one. The reality is that we all live in a fallen world. And while we live in this world, we will suffer. We're not strangers to suffering, but the good news is that neither is Jesus. Jesus understands our weaknesses and sufferings because he's no stranger to suffering. People made fun of him, and even his friends abandoned him. He was a man who suffered greatly and was familiar with pain. In today's passage, we will see that Jesus chose to do the will of the Father and bear the penalty of our sin out of love for you and me. He went through agony alone and he was abandoned in his darkest hours so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity alone in eternal suffering and separated from God. So, Let's unpack this and we'll see how Jesus was alone in his agony. Verse 32 and 33, we see that after, a little before that, after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples came to a well-known garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Now the name of this garden was Gethsemane, which means olive press. This was a place where olives were crushed for oil. Now Jesus often came to this garden to pray. We get that from Luke. And the disciples also knew this place because they all used to gather there and pray. But there was someone who also knew that place, and that was Judas. He knew where to find Jesus because he was there with them. Now, the disciples thought that it would be another night of prayer, but this particular night would play out quite differently. Jesus would be crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, when they get there, Jesus tells the disciples to sit and wait, and he moves away with his inner circle. That would be Peter, James, and John. We can see that Jesus didn't want to be alone. Who would want to be alone? 
He needed company. But now, up to this point, Jesus had been completely in charge. Nothing seems to take him by surprise. But now, we see that he suddenly becomes greatly distressed in trouble. The Greek word for greatly distressed is to be astonished. So Jesus saw something. He experienced something. There was something that he realized that shocked him. Jesus was filled with horror as he saw clearly what his death would mean. So Jesus opens up his heart. He, He talks to the disciples. He shows them his struggles, his agony, and his fear about facing death. He tells them that his soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. So he asks them to stay close with him and watch. How many times do we go through trials and say nothing? We just stay quiet. We don't seek help because we feel sorry for ourselves. But here we see our Lord Jesus humbling himself and sharing his heart with the disciples. And we should do the same. We should share our struggles with our brothers and sisters. But we can also see that Jesus is not a spirit. It's not like some people say that he was not real. Jesus is not a spirit. He's not a ghost. He was born as a real human being with real flesh and blood, just like you and me. Mark describes a real man going through real struggles and suffering like us. So Jesus' struggle is real. There's no doubt about that. But his suffering is unique. And you may wonder why. Well, because he was facing something beyond physical torture or death. And we will see later what that is. So Jesus goes a little farther. He throws himself on the ground and he begins to pray. Now imagine that you are in a prayer meeting with a few brothers and then suddenly one of them just throws himself to the floor. What would you think? I think if we're honest, we would probably freak out, right? But that's what Jesus did. That's how heavy his burden was. The weight of sorrow made him collapse to the ground. And then he prays that if possible, that God would not make him go through this time of suffering. Now we know that Jesus is fully God, but He's also fully human. So here, what we can see is his human will wrestling with the divine will of the Father. He, this time of suffering that we're talking about, it's just the moment that God ordained for his son to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. So Jesus has just realized what he's gonna go through and he's asking the Father if there's any possible way to take a detour. He actually calls God Abba. He goes before the Father and he says, Abba, which in Aramaic means Father. Abba signifies the close, intimate relationship of a father and his child. That's how your daughters and son will call you nowadays, Abba. 
That's how close Jesus is with the Father. He has an intimate relationship with the Father. He knows him as perfectly as possible. He knows that he is almighty. So he brings his request. Remove this cup from me. What is Jesus asking for? What does that mean? What cup are we talking about? What is the cup? Now, in the Old Testament, the cup is a metaphor for the wrath of God on human evil. It's a picture of divine justice poured out on injustice. So Jesus is actually beginning to experience a foretaste of what would happen when he drank the cup of divine wrath against sin. That's the sore of his agony. He's gonna have to drink the cup of wrath that was destined for you and me. He would take it all himself. Now, some of us may not like the idea of God's wrath. We don't like talking about it, we don't think about it. And we think, well, the Bible says that God is love. But if you want a loving God, you must have an angry God. If you think about it, loving people can get angry. Not in spite of their love, but because of it. The more you love people, the angrier you can get. Think about it. When you see people being hurt or mistreated, you obviously get mad. When you see people that hurt themselves, you get mad at them out of love. So love and justice, they work together. They are not opposed to each other. Tim Keller says, if God is loving and good, he must be angry at evil, angry enough to do something about it. If you don't believe in the God of wrath, you have no idea of your value. See, a God without wrath has no need to go to the cross and suffer incredibly agony and die to save you. This God pays no price to love you. How valuable are you to the God of the Bible? Well, you're valuable enough that he would go to these steps for you. And C.S. Lewis adds, your conception of God's love and of your value in his sight will only be as big as your understanding of his wrath. So, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus became, so to speak, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup so that we would not have to drink the cup of wrath. See, Jesus loves mankind, but his humanity feared the pain and suffering he would face. Yet, he decides to trust God over his feelings and emotions. Don't we have to learn that? Don't we get overcome by fear, our feelings, our emotions, and we act on them? Here we see Jesus trusting God, surrendering his feelings to him. He knows the Father's desires are ultimately his desires. 
He actually taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer. Now, he models it for them. Not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus obeys for the love of the Father and for the love of all of us. We, on the other hand, we tend to do the opposite, right? We try to avoid suffering or we hide our problems from people to make them believe that we never struggle, right? We come every, every week to church and we just put on a mask and try to pretend that everything's fine. But Jesus doesn't, avo- he doesn't avoid suffering. We don't see him hiding his struggles and he doesn't deny his emotions. He actually loves into the suffering. And we need to be real about our struggles and trust the Father in our suffering. So when Jesus returns from praying, he's disappointed because he finds the disciples sleeping. Now, the disciples could have done, you know, a little better than that. We know that there was little they could do to ease his anguish but they could have shown sympathy by staying awake and just being there for him. You know, when my wife was pregnant with her first uh, child, she was diagnosed with gallstones. So they couldn't remove her gallbladder because she could lose the child. So from time to time, she would have gallbladder attacks and I would see her laying on the floor in pain. And I felt so frustrated because I couldn't do anything to ease her pain. But I was there with her in that comfort. So what we see here is that Jesus was alone in that moment of great agony. He was awake to the plan of the Father, but the disciples, on the other hand, they were asleep. Now Jesus saw the weaknesses of the disciples and he urged them to be alert and pray for strength. They too would be tested and would face the temptation to deny Jesus themselves. We see that they wanted to do what was right, but they were weak. Perhaps they were too confident. What Jesus is telling us is that the good intentions of our spirit will not be able to overcome the weaknesses of our flesh without the sustaining power of prayer. So, we need to be a praying people. Now, Jesus goes away to continue praying, and it's just interesting to see that Jesus needed to pray multiple times. He went the first time and came back, now he needs to go back a second time. So, if Jesus had to pray going through that, don't you think we should to the same. When we're struggling, when we're going through suffering, we should go to the Father in prayer. Now, Jesus was in such agony that his sweat turned into drops of blood that fell to the ground. That's how much he was suffering. But the more he suffered, the more he fervently prayed. He prayed more and more. And through prayer and with the help from an angel, he was able to overcome temptation, endure suffering, and fulfill his Father's will. So we see that persistent prayer 
is the only way to stay aligned with the will of the Father. If you and I want to follow the Father's will, we need to be constantly prayer. We often lose or win the spiritual battle before the crisis comes. So we're either prepared for it, or then we're going to fall asleep and fail like the disciples did. Now, when Jesus returns the second time, he finds the disciples sleeping again. Now, Luke tells us that they were exhausted from grief. They could not bear the burden of sorrow. They were weak, and they fell asleep instead of staying alert and praying that they might be strengthened to endure suffering. This tells us that we can't overcome our struggles alone. We need to depend on God, and we also need to help one another. We need to count on each other. So we see Jesus leaves again to keep praying, and when he returns a third time, guess what? They had fallen asleep again. Two times he asked them to stay awake. He comes back a third time, and they're just sleeping. Could they, not, could they not stay awake and pray during this time? But we see that this time Jesus doesn't rebuke them. The time for watching and praying has passed. The hour has come. So he tells the disciples to get up because it's time to go. The son is now betrayed into the hands of sinners. So we see the will of the Son is aligned with the will of the Father. Jesus would drink the cup of wrath at Calvary, but he made that decision at Gethsemane. He now moves toward the cross to carry out the Father's plan. But we will see that the Son of God would be abandoned in his darkest hours but by those who claim to be his closest friends. So, as we see the second part of this story, verse 43 and through 50, Jesus was still talking to the disciples when Judas showed up with a crowd. So here they come, a crowd, and apparently Judas and his group of people thought that they were dealing with a criminal because they all came armed with swords and clubs. Now, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but this was probably a little shocking for Jesus and the disciples. They were not criminals. They had been preaching the gospel. They had been healing people, loving on people. And here they are being treated as dangerous criminals. So sometimes, you and I, we will suffer for our faith. Sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right. People who oppose God will treat us like they treated Jesus. We must be prepared to suffer for Christ. Now Judas planned to do something to show them which one was Jesus. He had a plan. He said, the one I kiss will be Jesus. Arrest him and guard him while you lead him away. So, apparently, Jesus was so normal in appearance 
as human as we are, that it was necessary for Judas to identify him. And Judas was so cynical that he chose to identify Jesus by greeting him with a kiss. A sign that is supposed to be for love. So Judas went over to Jesus and said, Rabbi. And then he kissed him. And the men grabbed Jesus and arrested him. So this kiss was the sign of betrayal. Judas was cruel. He called Jesus teacher and he pretended to be affectionate knowing that he was delivering the son into the hand of sinners. Sometimes those closest to you will be the ones to betray and disappoint you. It's gonna happen. Sometimes we will have to deal with hypocrites. People who put on a mask and pretend to be something that they're not. But we must be careful not to act in the same way. Because we can do it too. For the Bible tells us that we can't just pretend to love others. We have to really love them and hate what is wrong. So we must be truthful. Our love needs to be real. So they arrested Jesus because he allowed them to do so. If you think about it, Jesus himself said that no one can take his life from him. He sacrifices it willingly. He has the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. This is what had to happen. Now this crowd had no power to defeat Jesus. But he chose to give himself into the hands of sinners out of love for you and me. This is a call to sacrifice for others. We must go the extra mile to help others. Now, in the midst of this commotion, one of the followers who was close to Jesus, he grabbed his sword and he struck the servant, the servant of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. It is actually John who tells us that it was Peter who did this. Now, we know this is true because this is consistent with his character. But Jesus commands him to put the sword away. And he asked him, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus could have asked the Father for help. Peter didn't understand this. But he could have gone to the Father and asked for help. And the Father would have sent an army of angels to defend him. But if he had done so, how would the scriptures would be fulfilled? Everything was happening the way it was supposed to happen. This was the only way for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Now, we need to be careful and watch our thoughts, our words, our actions. Because sometimes we may be following our own will, just like Peter was. Then Jesus turns to the crowd and he asks them, why did you come to me with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? I used to teach in the temple courtyard every day. But you didn't arrest me then. This demonstrates the hypocrisy of those in the crowd. They were treating Jesus like a criminal on the run who had finally been under, overtaken. 
But this was ridiculous. Jesus was not a criminal. He was not on the run. He was not hiding. He spent countless days teaching in the temple. He was with the people. He ministered to people. He healed people. He loved people. He was not running away. So, why didn't they arrest him during those times? Well, Jesus answers his own question. He's being arrested now because the hour has come. It is time. It is time for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Now, then all the disciples abandoned him and ran away. Just as, just as he predicted on verse 27. So, what we see is that at this point, all the disciples ran away for their own safety. They only thought of themselves. None of them stood besides Jesus. Now, why did they run away? Because they were afraid. They had not prepared. They were not praying. They were not strengthened. They were weak. They were overtaken by surprise. But can you blame them? If you think about it, we probably would have done the same thing. So, these disciples, you know, they ran from Jesus so they wouldn't have to die with him. They ran from suffering to save themselves, but we see that Jesus ran toward suffering to save them. We may have sufferings now, but I can tell you that any suffering we experience pales in comparison to his. Jesus bore the penalty of our sin and he had to face the terror of the cross all alone. And he did it out of obedience to the Father and out of love for you and me. This is the kind of love that you've been looking for all your life. No other love could ever satisfy you like this. Not mommy love, daddy love, uncle love, boyfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend love. This is it. So, all other loves will let you down, just like the psalm said. But this one never will. Did you know this kind of love? If you have never experienced this kind of love, Christ is calling you today. All you have to do is to confess your sin, admit that you're a sinner, repent, turn away from your sin, and surrender your life to him. Stop living for yourself, but live for Christ. He will never turn away anyone who comes to him. That if you are here, and whether you are a believer or not, and you're struggling, you're going through suffering, well, there are pastors and also biblical counselors who would love to talk to you, who would love to help you. 
They are willing to walk with you and through that all. And if you're feeling lonely, if you've been coming for this church, who knows for how long, but you haven't connected with anyone, we don't want you to stay there. We don't want you to feel alone. So come find us after the service, and either the pastors, me, whoever, just grab someone, and we would love to connect you with one of our study groups. Now, let's go before the Lord in closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Today, we honor the sacrifice of our fallen heroes, those who gave it all so that we can have freedom in this country. But Father, you gave it all. You gave yourself. You, you gave it all and you went to that cross for us, out of love. And we are so grateful that we, we get to worship your name and to serve you. Oh Lord, bless everyone who's here present today. Helping, Lord, through suffering. Help us, Lord, to be truthful about our suffering, our struggles, to come to you, Lord, when we feel lost, and to help one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.